Stay at this guy's die. Blog talk. Can you hear us? Bill, can you hear us? I can hear you now. Okay, there we go. You, okay. Yep. We're all in business. Robin, we are do the in introduction. Business. Robin, do the Hang introduction. Hang on. We have to play our music. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Okay, the music played, and then more music played. This is Michael. I'm going to throw it over to Robin to do the introduction. Well, fantastic. Well, um, welcome, 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 everybody. It is Tuesday, July 28th. This is Drive Through HR, um, live from uh, three simultaneous studios, uh, and keeping our fingers crossed that the technology gods stay with us today. I am uh, I am Robin Schooling along with my co-host Michael Vandervoort. Hey Mike. Hey hey Robin, I'm trying to fix this bad sound on my end, so give me a minute, okay? Okay. Sounds good. Well I'll uh I'll uh get us get us rolling today because we're gonna have a very interesting discussion and I think it's going to um it's going to bring us bring us all a little bit of perspective about some of the things that we have been dealing with uh, globally in this pandemic. And so uh, welcome to a longtime friend of drive Through HR, one of the very first, I believe, second or third guests on drive Through HR 10 years ago. Uh, welcome, Bill Borman. Hello, Bill. Hi. Welcome. Hi, Robin. Hi, Mike. Hi, Bill. I'm hoping Mike's fixed his sound and we're ready to go. Yeah, good good to be we, here and the second guest. I was actually scheduled to be the first guest, but I couldn't make it at the last minute, so I guess things continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about this, though. This is the 1,486th episode of Drive Through yeah. HR. Yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah. So bookending, you know, and I think from you're, you're about my um, 100, 187th host that I've been interviewed by. So also cool. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on, we've only had about I think six or seven. So come on. Yeah, yeah, this is um, cool. So um, to kick us off, um, for any of our listeners who who don't know you, have not run into you, and at an event around the world um, uh, and and are wondering who in the world you are um, tell us tell our audience a little bit uh, a little bit about you yeah so I live in a a, a um, smallish village the village of Ells Barton just outside Northampton anyone who's seen Kinky Boots the play or the movie it's famously where the original story originates from um, i been working in and around recruiting and HR for about 36 years Um, and I now work with technology companies particularly startups on building technologies across three continents building technologies and methodology I work with some global organizations like NASPA's group and the BBC on their hiring methodology and what they need to be looking at 
I write a lot of papers and I talk quite a lot. I make quite a lot of noise about what's going on in the in in, in the industry and in normal times speak at a lot of conferences. I, I spend about six months of the year on the road. I also launched something called um, True the Recruiting Unconference, which is a a whole um, open source animal. Oh, and I sit on the board of HROS. So lots of different things that fit together. Yep, yep. And uh, and and your world. Uh, I mean, all of our worlds have changed quite a bit yeah. over the last, you know, five months. Um, but yeah, well, pull it, pull right. it you back in from the road. Yeah. That um, that made a change. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. So this has been quite different. So. Um, and it was kind of a continuation of timing that fell in at the right time, fell in in the right way for me anyway. So um, towards the end of last year, um, I kind of thought I need to stop being an angry socialist, just bashing stuff out on a keyboard, and I need to go and actually do something where I see some of the problems in society, particularly around poverty. And I was just starting a project up to launch some stuff in prisons. Um, having been inspired by uh, Shelley Winner and some of the people that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, at Christmas, I did a, a I joined in an established local charity. They, had, uh, they fed um, rough sleepers in the town market, um, which is pretty much as you'd imagine it if you're thinking of an English town with a quaint <laughs> English market. Um, so uh, fed the rough sleepers in the town and then was involved in a in chefing for a Valentine's Day dinner for the, about 40 of the homeless. And, and then every Sunday was involved in doing breakfast. And this was kind of regular service. Um, I then started raising some money um, for a horse box, which we raised in a couple of weeks by a horse box to convert mm-hmm. into a vehicle and expected that my involvement was going to kind of be like that. I would be on a few committees. I'd do some volunteering um, yeah. weekends and so on. Um, and then COVID came along and, you know, right at the time where I would have expected to spend four months or five months continuous on a plane at an event somewhere. Um, yeah. You know, so all of the events closed at, because that's really half of my life in normal times is spent at events. Um, all of the events finished, which gave me time back um, at the same time as the charity needed um, someone to step in and take on what started as the breakfast run. So I started doing breakfast um, on the first day. It was seven rough sleepers. COVID kicked in and that went up to 75. Um, mm. whole bunch of reasons for that. Not that the rough sleepers weren't there in the beginning, but when food's in the system, there's less reliance or there's not an absolute need to access charity. Um, if you're rough sleeping or homeless, and that's two different things, um, you uh, generally can access through, you know, there's cash in the system if you sit outside stores, there's food in the system from um, from takeaways, from restaurants, from people leaving stuff, there's food in the system generally, as long as there's people in the system, there's money in the system, people giving the spare dollar or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So there's not an, a lot of the people don't, who are, in a homeless situation, don't necessarily access charity. And also there was 
traditional soup kitchens that would get 78 or 80 people every night of the week. There was another church or charity turning up, um, you know, Sikhs, Hindus, um, the local mosque, the local churches would all run mm. a soup kitchen in the evening that would feed 80 or 100 people right. every night with their meal a day, which, which gave them enough sustenance to carry on. And all of that stopped because social gathering stopped. Um, you couldn't social gather. You couldn't, so everything had to change really dramatically in about a week. And yeah. I took on and I took on that challenge and um, yeah, so kind of jump forward four months. Um, I've cooked and delivered and sourced um, six thousand two hundred dinners, uh, made cups oh. of coffee, tea, given people tents, sleeping bags, and all that kind of thing um, over a pretty dramatic period, one hundred and twenty-two de- continuous days or continuous oh. nights. And it took about four or five hours because you couldn't deliver, to, you couldn't have a group of people, you had to deliver to individuals. So it right. really had became, I think, um, if I look back on my lifetime, um, I didn't go to university or anything, I went to the University of Life. So I hadn't had that kind of a year out of helping the Red Cross somewhere or yeah. excellent stuff people have done. And I honestly believe that everything that I've learned in my career from the way that I got an app to use data to make everything run more efficiently to um, my HR background to my networking background to be able to network with people um, to be able to work with people like the local authorities other regulatory bodies other charities in a an area where things like safeguarding are pretty important and being able to absorb all the laws and the rules very quickly and HR environment mm-hmm. is very useful. All of these things that I've done in my, and that I was just passionate about cooking and was able to cook for 60 people at night out of a domestic kitchen and turn out fresh home cooked stuff. Um, all of those things kind of, I'm not a, a religious person um, by any means. I'm fine with people who are, but I kind of think that all of these things in my career, my lifetime, prepared me for this moment to to do this yeah. thing, which is what I've done. And I, I don't want to yeah. try to be too dramatic about sounding like that, but it kind of felt like that. Everything was in. I was actually the most organised person, which is you know <laughs> kind of. But you have to be when you're when you're delivering essential food um, to. 40 people a night in 15 locations and all this kind of stuff. Everything from how many wooden, how many wooden sets of cutlery do I need to put on the car? How many cups do I need? Mm. How much coffee? All the meal packs become fairly regulated to a hot dinner. Everything has to be served in a foil. You can't deliver anything that requires um, traditional cutting. So you can't deliver something like a, a steak, say, or a piece of chicken that requires cutting up because, they're generally eating it from the hand. It's street food, if you think yeah. of it like that. Right? So all of these things go into and raising enough money to pay for it because um, I pied from the charity after about a month and did it all directly myself for a, for a whole bunch of reasons. So um, being able to do these things, uh, you just have to be super organized. And I think, you know, a lifetime in HR and recruiting and using data really helped me do that so it's, it's been a kind of interesting. 
<laughs> yeah, and you have to learn very quickly. So having lots of knowledge or a bit of knowledge around lots of things um, from um, even gender um, to uh, knowing how to respect people's privacy and and, and mm-hmm. follow regulation kind of comes from a an HR background really. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to do things and, and being able to do things like learning how to be trusted by people and how that what that it helps that you're turning up with a pie but how you actually do that it, there's lots of skills that you don't know you have that kind of emerge hmm. in, in these and challenging situations because I was seeing people who were living on roundabouts seeing people living in subways under shopping malls um, hmm. who might also have other um, mental health issues and challenges that mm-hmm. uh, you know I've, I've learned how to get hold of um, methadone subscriptions when chemists were closed because that was a ch- lots of challenges that come along that kind of my um, career and lifetime I think have prepared me for in, in many ways so it's kind of really surprising but um, yeah. and I had the opposite experience because everyone else was locking down and I was going out every day yeah so I've been out in the height of lockdown when there's there's only four sets of people about really, apart from the essential workers, nurses, doctors, ambulance drivers. Um, and those people were me, the rough sleepers, um, the dealers, and the dealers and the uh, and uh, and the uh, uh, and the rough sleepers, right? So. Yeah. And the police. No, you know, one very, of the one of the, the police the were phrases, also very interested in what I was doing and maybe pull me up fifteen times a day. I learned what it was like to be a person of colour in New York probably. Yeah. You know, one of the phrases that um you know, I think those those of us who, who, who know you and have watched uh, as you've worked at this, but one of the phrases that is sort of new to people, um, is certainly not something we necessarily say in the US is rough sleepers. So how how is that right. difference? So, so it's, what's that it's difference? very different. It's also a different legal definition. Yeah. So it determines what support you get. So a rough sleeper is the person who you would consider to be homeless. So that's the person you see in a shop doorway. Yeah. Right. So, but you'd also include into the rough sleeper community somebody who uh, tented encampments, which are more permanent. Okay. And some of the people have lived there for three years, like shanty town type setups. There's, there's some of those, um, but no amenities. No, you know, no, no amenities for what you'd consider a basic household living. <clears throat> and then you've also got people living in squats, so you know, abandoned buildings which have been occupied, um, flats with asbestos on the roof and stuff like that. So you've got people living in those conditions, but again, none of the um, none of the amenities you would expect. Um, but rough sleepers are what, if you imagined or drew homeless, a rough sleeper is what you would think of. Okay. Um, homeless is different. So, and homeless is actually probably the biggest problem. Now, I didn't really get too involved with the homeless till later in later in the process. So probably the last months too much. But homeless is, and I think is the biggest problem in society around poverty now. So homeless would be somebody who is sofa surfing. Um, okay. And they quite often intermittently go between the two. So that, so if you, and there's a very big difference between sofa surf, 
sofa surface. So um, there's a percentage, which is probably the smaller percentage of sofa surfers who are staying with a friend or family who get all the amenities of a household. Like, for instance, if uh-huh. you had somebody you put up for a week or something like that. Um, and then you have people who literally get that. They manage to get a, a roof over their head somewhere, but they don't get anything else. So they probably don't get showers. They don't have any access to food. They don't have mm. a fixed location, so they don't have any benefits coming with that. Um, so, and that's, that, that's a massive, I'd say that's probably going to be the bigger challenge moving forward. Um, mm. Because it, it's less identifiable. It's not recorded anywhere on any census. Um, but it's a big part of the population. You know, it's a big part of, of particularly young people, the population. And you also see these people who run out of sofas. So you will hear yeah. them at the end, people at the end of the day desperately ringing around trying to find somewhere to stay. And obviously their friends have uh, perhaps the hospitality has been exceeded. Um, so you, you know all of these kind of different issues that you have to deal with, um, and then you, you also the very challenging issues of mental health in there, which, which comes up a lot, and also addiction. Addiction is a bit, you know becomes yeah all-consuming, and people who end up rough sleeping will commonly move towards addiction in some way just to deal with that circumstance. Yeah. So there's lots of what? lots of different moving parts that you have to. Um, it and it was very much like an HR world in that you have to know enough and also know who the experts are in lots of different places to say right, okay, who do I, how do I deal with this or who do I call to, to get this problem dealt with because because also issues are very instant. So if I give you a very simple example, I had a conversation which really sticks out in my mind with someone pretty early on um and as covid kicked in all of the uh doctors had closed that closed access and all this kind of thing everything was shutting down um, yeah. and i had a conversation with someone and he said um i have been um clean and on methadone for about nine months um i'm not able to get my access my script i am not able to get hold of my methadone um if I don't get hold of it pretty quickly, there's only one direction I can go with this, and getting hold of that is a lot easier than getting hold of methadone. So I huh. got them. To, I said, "Look, just give me an hour. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but give me an hour." And I just um, have a friend who's a GP or a doctor and talk to different people. We figured out the system and we managed to get someone to come out with an iPad and we did it on online script and got medication and got them off that problem. So lots of things like that. Um, you know, plus um, depression, suicide, bipolar, all those kind of different things that if um, autism, if you've got a bit of understanding of some of these areas, they all come in very useful. I think an HR background, it kind of equips you for that. Some of the, it's just when they're on the street, they're kind of amplifying a hundred times to what you might be used to in an office. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty what about, interesting. What about kids? Did I mean, like, of the population, um, I guess, you know, under, under, you know, younger than teenagers, uh, you know, is that, are there lots of kids out there that you see? No, you don't really see kids um, because they're hmm. fairly well covered for. I did, I, I, I did come, I get a number of, number of kids who were, uh, 
um, 17, younger, younger. So yeah. if, if they're young, it tends to be a runaway situation, right? And that's a yeah. reasonably easy safe, darling, because you've got the right authorities to notify. They will actually react to that very quickly. If you say, you know, there's a kid here and they're sleeping rough, um, you know, you, you can rally things around that very quickly. So it's not so much an issue of children. You do get issues of pregnancy, by the way. You know, um, so it's less yeah. children and more um, social, uh, lots of um, domestic violence where people are hiding out and don't want to be found. So, you know, mm. it's more of those kind of issues. Children and kids not so much. Um Although I would consider them to be kids, you know, in their twenties, and there's yeah. quite a lot of those. Quite a lot of those. Yeah. I think Mike. Mike, can you, um, Mike, uh, are you? Uh, is your uh, studio connection working? You have a a question. Nope, I guess it's not. Yeah. I mean, the other so, question that people uh, the other question that people ask me um, quite a lot, so I can answer this one for you. Is I'm, I'm quite often asked um, whether I'm, I was scared of stuff, you know, whether I felt mm, scared yeah. that you're dealing with um, people who most people would cross the road from when they're out for a dollar or something like that. Um, and it's kind of a strange thing, and I don't think it was particularly me. Um, I was never scared, actually. Um, the only hmm. time I had any fear, and I wasn't actually scared of the COVID stuff either, right? Um, because most of the people I was dealing with live in social isolation anyway, so um, they actually had quite a good COVID because they were well fed, they weren't disturbed, they weren't attacked. Their only issue was that they couldn't access food and money, cash, and there was no yeah. work. So, you know, maybe half of this population work, but if a company's employing someone without any ID or eligibility to work, they're almost definitely not paying them a minimum wage, right? Right. Um, but all of that, so half of the people who we're dealing with have never um, accessed any kind of charity, mainly because they weren't mm. eligible. So lots of Central Europeans, Russians in particular, mm. um, Lithuanians, um, hadn't, uh, hadn't accessed service before. So partly people didn't know that they existed and where they live, but the, the, the other issue is they, they're not going to be able to access services for a whole bunch of reasons. I guess you'd compare that similar to all when you talk about illegal folk in the US. Yeah, un undocumented and people in the undocumented. US, yeah. Right. So it's not that they don't work, but they're not going to be working, that anyone who would employ them is not going to be paying them a wage. Yeah. And particularly giving them anything like health and safety or rights, you know, they're going to be quite, an exploited mass of people, mm. um, but they're they're able to survive, or they're able to survive day to day, and and all of that work also disappeared. So we were dealing with lots of people who had, had, had always survived, and then couldn't, couldn't. Suddenly, there was a, you know, we talk about life and death situations in HR and recruiting, but no, that that not really. Right, right. In most cases, yeah. In is, most cases, is my employer brand? Sexy yeah. enough is not quite life or death. It's not the same thing, right? You, you yeah. get a different um, perception of that. So, yeah, I think that was that. Uh, but but 
dealing with um, dealing with or being among addicts, I think because I was helping them, and they actually said to me a number of times, "We've always got your back," you know. And there was a number of ah. times where um, there might have been situations that I might have been concerned about, and people would suddenly appear from behind bins or wherever. Huh. And make sure I was okay, you know, because that's that's this, this is my community, and you get a great. There's a very strong sense of community in the rough sleepers, um, hmm. because they're making the most. And you get different type different types of people. You can put them in different categories, but you will get passers through, right? So you'll get people yeah. who, through circumstance, particularly we had issues of people being. Uh, all of the prisons released everyone in one day who weren't oh. um, who weren't serious offenders. Right. You know, anyone who was due for parole or release in the next six months, they wanted to get them out of prison because they had a massive COVID problem in the prisons. Um, so they let everybody out, and the and when you're released out, you're supposed to be released to an accommodation, a bail hostel, or whatever. And the yeah. probation services couldn't keep up, so we suddenly had about an extra twenty people on the wow. street. Um, wow. you know, that we had to deal with. And, and those and then probation will catch up. So those people will only be out for ten days or twenty days. We also had the local authorities. I was identifying people and bringing messages. The local authorities, anyone who was eligible for housing was being put into hotels, so I was pretty involved in that. And seventy five of those people are now in housing. So, you know, there's been good work on longer term solutions yeah. that I've been been quite closely involved with so um but i never felt threat I, I never i've never felt in any danger or threat from that community the only times i ever got worried actually was when the lockdown eased and more of the public came back out in the community <laughs> and then i started getting nervous right because i'd been out in i'd been dealing with covid for four months so things like gloves and masks whatever you know that that's all set i never go anywhere without three masks in my pocket I get through 40 pairs of gloves a night because you change, you, you're just getting a process of what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and suddenly there was all these idiots wandering about. And, you know, so every time like the pubs have opened or whatever it is, I've looked at it and thought, you people are going to die. Like, you're just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, we're, uh, let me do a quick reset. We're just over halfway through. Um, yeah. We're doing a 45 minute show today. Um, and I want to sort of, um, I want to sort of change um, change direction a little bit. Obviously, still in the same story, um, but one of the really um, cool things um, as 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 you've worked with this over the months, because um, you've spoken about it or you've talked about it, is the support of 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 people that have assisted you, that have donated, yeah, that have so, so, chimed in. It's the same people, right, uh, on the whole. So it's the same people. So I think what you discover, so there's a, there were certain three things really, um, lessons I think you take away from that. So first of all, you've got to pay for it. And, and you've got yeah. to pay for it pretty quickly. Or you've got to get supplies. Like, you know, I've got through 100, I've given out 120 sleeping mats during this time. I've given away 40 tents, 100 roll mats. Mm. Just, you know, you need to support. You need, uh, uh, you know, I, I give out, um, I've probably given out close to a thousand pairs of boxer shorts and underwear mm. and women's underwear. 
a women's all of these things you need to source from somewhere, right? You have to get hold of it. So, um, what what was pretty clear was um, the communities in which I'm in, the network, the network that I'm in. Um, people were quite engaged in this story. Interestingly, you know, over half the, and I raised during this period of time um, directly to run this without the money for the horse box directly to run run this somewhere in the region of about £9,000 to $9,000 at a time when mm. people, because everything's got to be paid for and bought directly and yeah. all the rest of it. You know, you can't really, because we couldn't even take in um, voluntary donations. You couldn't take in old clothes. Because there yeah. was COVID, there was just lots of things that you wouldn't, you know, um, complicate curples that come along out of the blue. Um, but all of that was funded and funded almost immediately uh, that I put the requests out from the network, and I, I, I found it pretty astounding that more than half the money came from the US. Um, hmm. Which, when you think this is a localized problem, right? Um, it's actually not a special town. If you went to any town in the UK, I think you'd find, or similar regional yeah. country town, you'd find the same problem wherever you went. It w- would be, would repeat in, in any population. The same as if you went to go to any city in the States or wherever. Um, so it's a very localised thing, you know, you'd ex- uh, and yet the money was coming and coming instantly from... from um, the US and Australia and around the world, really, you know, people mm. were very connected with the challenge. And I think what you get from that is that sense. And the app that I got came from a recommendation from some, from Felix who's a friend of mine who works with somebody mm-hmm. else. Um, and he's based in, uh, Philippines and, um, we built an app together to do the job, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in, uh, um, I really felt a sense of everybody was with me and what I was doing. And, and you know, yep. people give, just say to me, "What do you need? What do you need?" It's it, it's hard cash. I think that the so the things I really pick up from that is one is this is a problem everywhere, so people can connect with that story. Right? Yeah, no, nobody is unaware. And I was speaking about it yesterday and saying, you know, when I was growing up, if you saw somebody sleeping on the street. It was either by choice because every town had some people who, yep. you know, alcoholics or whatever they might be who slept on the street, or someone you'd consider the crazy guy, or whatever, um, or hermits, proper hermits. But but generally, um, we've got to a point in society where it doesn't shock us anymore emotionally. Right. We don't see somebody sleeping outside or banging out outside a restaurant and we even think twice about that. Right. You know, we've reached that point in our society where it doesn't, but that's not to say we don't feel some sympathy or whatever it is, but it just doesn't shock you. Yeah. Uh, and when I think about growing up, if I went to London or a city where there were some homeless, because they generally tended to only be in big cities, right? Um, or big populations. If you saw some people sleeping out, I remember the first time, I saw what they called Cardboard City in Waterloo. And that maybe had 50 people there. That was considered the biggest homeless population. Mm-hmm. And being really, like, shocked by that. And now I would walk past 50 people underneath a bridge in London and 
apart from sometimes thinking about your own safety, I would never. It, it, yeah. It wouldn't make an emotional connection that would make me think, oh, this is. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, this is the way it is. And yeah, I think we have, really, you know. Yeah. We have tent cities. Um, you know, in in New Orleans, um, set well, up under the underpass. That doesn't shock you anymore, right? That doesn't shock no, you. No, I mean, you just you know they're there. You know, they they just they sort of. This is normal. They're this there. Normal. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, even shock you. Normal. Yeah, it doesn't shock you. So, yeah, I think that point of um, once you, uh, and so this has really come home to me is that we've reached a point in society where. Um, once we accept this is not a problem, uh, as being normal, we stop doing things about it, or we stop doing things, fixing things about yeah. it. Because um, now I think that's changed. I think COVID has really forced that because it made the the issue really highlighted. So I think there's a lot of really great things going on. Um, but I think that was part of why people would support me because they could connect with that story. They could say, "Yeah, that is." Mm-hmm pretty bad and then lots of people were at home and I was out doing it so it was kind of like you know it felt like they wanted to they were they were getting out with you yeah the other thing is I think it's such a big problem it's such a big issue yeah um you can throw some money into it and say oh I'll support one of the big charities but people don't necessarily like doing that because is the money going on admin is it going to the cause whatever um I think when somebody you know says yeah, I need some tents for these people or I need some money to buy pizza or I need just very a very specific, very practical people say, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, you know, and even though COVID times were hard for people, you know, so the amount that they could give maybe went down during that period and more, but more people chipped in and more people shared the story, which meant more people gave. It was kind of, you know, right. classic community effect right. I think when people can connect directly with a solution um on a human level and say yeah okay you know if I say yeah how do you, if I tell the story right you know as a, as a storyteller and you like which I guess is what we are if I tell the story yeah. about giving boxer shorts and you say to people how do you you know underwear how would you deal with underwear if you were living on the street and you don't mm-hmm, have access. Mm-hmm. And also all the laundrettes and everything closed down, right? So there, mm-hmm. there was no access to public toilets and there was no access to Man. laundry, stuff like that, right? So all of those issues, if you talk about those issues in a very open way and you say to people, yeah, there's a way which you can help me with that, they will help you on a human level. Most people are inherently good. They will go, yeah, I'll help you with that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I've learned, that you have to kind of go, Right, here's the story. This is what I need. This is what I need it for. And they're like, okay, you can have it. And then equally, when you tell people you've done it, so when you say, oh, I did 46 meals tonight or 16 stops or this is what we did, people will, or right, I need another thousand to pay for the food for the next month. People will just go, yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. And and Um, a whole number of people contacting me saying, what is it you need? Tell me what you need. I'll send you the money. So they, and they sent they, they they sent you the money or they shipped you the goods directly too. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Um, so we're uh, we're 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 getting close to wrapping down. We got less than ten minutes left. So, so you want to know what? Let me next? let me ask this. Yeah. What? Because um, as you've transitioned out of the uh, the need to do the daily 
cooking and delivery. What yeah. are the things that you're focusing on now? Because you, you've, you've said you're kind okay, of going, so continuing. Yeah, we have a local center um, charity, very good charity, well-established, called the Hope Center, um, which is where the homeless have largely been able to go in and there was a drop-in center and they can access help. That's also where all the services are centered. So that's where you can access housing. That's where you can sort out your bank accounts, benefits. There's different okay. people who become use that as a hub. Um, and they moved back to doing a hot cooked lunch every day. And I came inside there um, for two reasons. One is I'd built the four-month relationship with all the rough sleepers, so I've been able to get more, get them, all the service users connected with that. Not everybody has, and I'm working on doing that. But six days a week, um, I'm not in there every day now, but we did. That I've managed to get the soup kitchens back, and we're we're doing a hot lunch through the catering business that's provided through Hope, a hot lunch mm. and a dinner pack, which might have a cold the equivalent of what I used to give them on the street. Yeah. And um, there's stores for, you know, boxer shorts and all that kind of thing. So we've now created a, 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 that's going on. So I've been heavily involved in that and moving into employability, which is my, my, my the two passions of the next phases are housing and employability. So um, mm. where lots of people have been moving into housing, I've, I've actually been been going out and collecting up things like TVs and cooking stuff and things huh. and giving them to people in their first because you go into home with nothing. Um, and I'm starting up something specifically for that, for when people move from the street to housing to give them a home pack of everything new. So that's the project just in its infancy. Um, and employability. So it's not as simple as just working because you might also be dealing with lots of other things like um, addictions or mental health issues or even just the circumstance of moving from the street to the house. Almost definitely you'll have some medical issues that will need to be dealt with, whether they're mental or standard medical issues um, or addiction issues or whatever they are. Um, and the money that you need to earn to secure enough housing benefit. So what we're doing is running... The charity has five working areas that we also run. Um, Hope Centre also runs three food banks, um, a big warehouse for that, a food club, which is ongoing food. So th there's a few problems that I've identified that I'm going to work with. One is I drive a minibus twice a week and take volunteers to the warehouse and they do six hours voluntary work, picking and packing and loading. The idea yeah. is we're going to get them doing that for about five weeks and when they turn up I'm also connected with all the recruitment agency people I've worked with in the past um, they're able to work 15 hours a week and it doesn't damage their benefits that at the end of a four or five week program of employability we will then move them into um, we'll then move them into employment because that's kind of the next phase two right. days a week then get them out of there into a different type of housing so they don't need to earn as much benefit so that they can work and pay for housing. So it's it's looking at longer-term solutions of that, that mm -hmm. the employability I'm working on very closely, the housing factor when they first go into housing, and this issue of the sofa surfers who are homeless, what we do for them through the food club. And the other thing that I'm, I've realised is I'm also going to be running a cooking club based around uh. the food club, right? So um, 
teaching people how to basically cook. A lot of a lot of people coming, particularly the younger people coming from the street with no life skills to do anything other than put something in the microwave, which is right. expensive, not healthy. So I'm um, I'm starting a cooking club as the kitchens are opening, where I'm able to teach fifteen people a week from that group to cook, and the, and all the people oh, I've been feeding are signing up for that. So. We get in a continuation, and then there isn't any service on a Sunday, so I go back out on the street and do reconnect hmm. with people maybe who aren't accessing the service at the moment. Hmm. And the new people, there's there's always nine or ten people every week, a group of about nine or ten who might be rough sleeping for a couple of weeks, and yeah. they just need the right steer into where do you go and what do you get and what support do you need. So I'm doing that, and I'm funding... Um, or will be funding, I'm just launching a fund for that, to pay for all of the supplies that are needed in a cupboard for a year from sleeping bags, boxer shorts, all, all the life essentials for rough sleepers. So yep. that's, this is kind of phase two. Well, I, what's it. good is, it, it, you know, in phase one, in those kind of four months, you only really had one objective, which would feed everybody and try and keep them alive, and you know, carry messages, did other stuff. Um, now I'm very much focused on longer term. We've got longer term objectives. We've got lots of other agencies we can bring in to do what they have to do. And, and I'm just starting to understand and use my networking skills in terms of who does what. Yeah. And, and how, because people help with very specific areas of it. Right. And so you need to bring these people together to say, right, where do we go next? Yeah. Well, we um, we're, we're getting we're getting set here to to wrap up here in the next minute or so. Um, yeah. We do have on the on the on the show's website for this episode, we have your uh, 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 LinkedIn and, and Facebook um, link, so people can reach out to you directly. Yeah, the group page is the group. It's We've, a bit inactive at the moment because obviously we've, we've been feeding people with different ways but there'll be an yep. update and the, and the new projects, the phase two will be coming out Excellent and, and we've, and we've also linked to the, um, the Hope Center the as well so yeah, and some, some of the people go there. some of the people from that network will be getting involved in the employability program in actually doing stuff so it's Excellent. kind of it's um, I, I, I think long term um this is permanently going to be 50% of my time. Wow. It's not going to go away. You um, have spent your time during um, COVID um, in a way more meaningful and productive way than I, for one, have. So <laughs> yeah, is, I'm, getting um, of, I'm getting plenty of moans because, you know, I'm not – I've only just started cooking for the family again, baking bread and stuff, which I used yep. to do because um, that's all been shut down for four months. Um, and because I've been cooking for 60 other people, as my children yeah. remind me. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I haven't done anything in the house, whereas everyone else has got shiny, gleaming, newly de- decorated houses. And all <laughs> I've had, the, as I say, I've had the opposite COVID experience. But um, I think it's also been a good opportunity for lots of people to look at life and say, uh, how can we repurpose? And I'd say out of this whole thing, you know, uh, I've got more out of this whole thing than, than anything I've ever done before. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, let's, um, 
let's let that be our ending thought because that's a wonderful thought. So, um, Bill, thank you so much for yeah. joining us on Drive Through HR. Thing. Mike is can hanging on and thing? listening, wanna, but he's been unable to. Thing? Robbie, speak. can I just say one thing loudly? Yep. Wear a fucking mask. Thank you. Thank you. There's a good closing line. (laughs) So thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. And uh, peace out on this Tuesday. Bye.